0: May God bless you as you watch this week's message. Uh, I want to share with you today from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'd like you to open up your Bibles and kind of like keep it open. Um, if uh, you don't have a Bible, you have your uh, New Testament on your U uh, uh, Version Bible. Just keep it open there. And. Um, The Gospel of John is a very important gospel. There are four, we know, four Gospels. Uh, Three of the the four Gospels are what, what we call the synoptic Gospels, which essentially means that they are similar in style. And so Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are those three synoptic Gospels that have and carry the same parables, similar kind of, Uh, stories in the Bible. Now, each one of these uh, Gospels, or the four Gospels, carry a separate emphasis, right? Uh, So just to give you an example, for instance, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, shows that Jesus came from the seed of David and that he is the Messiah as it was uh, promised in the Old Testament. Uh, The book of uh, of, uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, shows that Jesus came from Nazareth, which demonstrates that, that Jesus was a humble servant coming from a small little town in Nazareth. Luke shows that Jesus came from Adam, and he demonstrates that Jesus was the perfect servant, and he becomes the last Adam, as we know from the scriptures jesus uh, Jesus ministry in in the gospel of, of John is a, is a ministry that primarily focuses in, in, in the acts and the things that he did in the city of Jerusalem versus what Mark Matthew and Luke did, as in highlighting the ministry of Jesus in the region of of Galilee. Now, uh, the Gospel of John itself shows that Jesus came from heaven. So where the others are demonstrating things historically or uh, humanly speaking, the gospel of John shows that Jesus came from heaven. It demonstrates that Jesus is God. John essentially writes the story that it basically tells us that the story of Jesus is so big that it can never, never be completed. There's no amount of books that can contain All of the things, all of the acts that Jesus performed as we know it from John chapter 21 and verse 25. Someone said this about uh, the Gospel of John, that the stories that John relates are so simple that a child will love them, but its its statements are so profound that no philosopher can even fathom them. And it's so, so, so true. The Gospel of John is the easiest one to read. Oftentimes when you talk to somebody about Jesus and you want to tell them, hey, you know what, you need to read the Bible? You tell them, read the Gospel of John. Because it's simple in its content, yet so profound. The purpose that John uh, had in sharing the Gospel was to talk to skeptics, to people that did not know Uh, anything about Jesus. In fact, archaeological discoveries of the oldest portion of the Gospel of John say that they found some of those in Egypt in A.D. 50, 150, that tells us that the Gospel of John was being circulated. As soon as it was written, it was going around and about because John's goal and desire was to communicate the truth about Jesus. Stay with me. Are you, are you with me? Are you good? You're good so far? Great. I'm trying to paint a picture because we're going to get and delve into some uh, of the portions of the Gospel of John and just look at some lessons that we can draw from in chapter 1. So let's read the first five verses in John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You see, the, the concept of the Word, and interesting that Matt, Matt this morning, as he opened up, talked about the Word, the Word being God. Uh, The concept of the word, the Logos, as is communicated in the Greek uh, in the the New Testament, is a concept that would not have been strange to both Hebrews and Greeks. Let me explain. For example, the ancient edition of the Torah translates Uh, this verse that we're going to put up, Exodus chapter 19, verse 17. It says that Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. That ancient Torah, the first edition of the scripture, actually says that Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with the word of God. Isn't that interesting? To meet with the word of God. You see, rabbis referred to God as the word of God. As well. Now, John was talking. We know in this scripture, right? He was speaking to priests, and he was speaking to temple assistants. If you look at verse nineteen, you see that his answers. People that come from Jerusalem to find out about this man. What's this guy doing? Who are you? And we're going to get into that in a little minute. Uh, but. He was talking to religious people. He was talking to folks that had uh, knowledge of the Torah. And so it would have been known to them as he was claiming these words that the logical argument, therefore, is that God, the word of God equals God. Therefore, the word of God is God. So you understand that statement that is being made here when he says, in the beginning was the word was just a little bit bigger than what we can relate to in understanding of the English language. I'm taking you somewhere. Uh, I can't really see your eyes. Are you glazed over yet? (laughs) I'm getting there. Now, the Greeks were philosophers by nature. And to them, the logos, they saw the logos, they saw the word as uh, the, the thing that brings clarity, that brings enlightenment, it, it brings enlightenment in a world of chaos, the word is there. Now, they saw also the logos as the force of the universe. You speak the word, that is what matters. Now, John 1.1, 1, 1, in light of all of these comments, sets the foundation for the rest of the entire book of John. Because for both Jews and Gentiles, right, John 1.1 1, 1 is the truth that the Word, that is Jesus, was pre-existing with God. Are you with me? He was with God. He pre existed He created all things. There was nothing that was made that Jesus, the Word, did not know about. The Word of God, God Himself. Wow. Now, it's interesting to note also that the Word of it says was with God, not in God. And you may say, you know, that, is that that important? Yes, it is, because the word being with God, not in God, basically is telling us that Jesus was a separate entity from, right, the Trinity. Three God in one, right? The, the Son was present at creation. He was with God. Jesus is separate, establishing also the eternal identity of the word of Jesus. The word created all things and gave light and that life that he gives. And the light cannot be extinguished. We read that in verses 4 and 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You know, friends, our God is a powerful God. His person, the words that he spoke, his words, even today echo from eternity past to each and every one of us to our individual situations and things that you're going through. I want you to stop and think about the situations that you're going through right now. The, th- the things that you're facing in your life right now. The, however big they might be, I want you to know that they are nothing. They're minute for the powerful, awesome God who pre-existed, who created the word. His words were spoken and things came into. To being how much more can he do in your life what can he not do in your life can we not say we trust him the word god himself because he is limitless he is limitless nothing is too difficult there's no one and nothing that is beyond the reach of god Jesus sees you, and he cares for you. He does. He's unmatched. John says his light cannot be extinguished. That's my Jesus. His light cannot be extinguished. Is that your Jesus this morning? Is Is this the Jesus that you serve? Or are you limited or limiting the power of God, of Jesus in your life that is basically uh, 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 um, the word that escapes me right now, but it basically we surround the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus and we limit, that's the word, we limit him by our circumstances we limit him by our faulty understanding because we think that that's how Jesus is. That's what I've learned, right? That's what they taught me in Sunday school when I was growing up. That's what my daddy, my mommy told me. And that's as far as Jesus goes, as far as I'm concerned. I want you to know that there's no limit to the power of God. And there's no limit to the word of God. And the word of God is Jesus. Wow. Look at verses 6 to 18 in the same chapter. There came a man who was sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. And so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man, Was coming into the world. We know who that was. He was in the world, through the world, and through him the world was made. The world did not recognize him, he came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from heaven, full of grace and truth. And John testifies... Very important. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. There it is. Reconfirming the preexistence of Jesus. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. I mean, this verse just blows my mind. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is the fathers on the at the father's side he made him known. I mean, you could sit here on these verses for a month. But let me just say a couple of things. In contrast, To Jesus being the word, the light, and the creator of all. Jesus tells us, uh, or John came basically to tell about Jesus. And he describes himself as a witness. Now that's a very important word. He says, I came to be a witness to the light. Jesus was the light. John was not the light. John was a witness to the light. John did not take any credit. He didn't take any glory. Contrary to what we see nowadays, and even in the, you know, I'm sure that you've heard this before, the celebrity culture, you know. John didn't say, hey, I took the first picture of Jesus when he stepped out in the baptismal water. First, like, boom, you know. That wasn't, that wasn't his language at all. It wasn't his lingo. I don't know. Some of you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. It's Instagram, people. Relax. First like. You ever done that? I've done that with my kids. Oh, great picture. First like. <laughs> that wasn't John's intention at all. He did not talk about himself as a super evangelist. The man of power for the hour. That wasn't John. Being a witness is a key key statement here because a witness goes on the stand in a court of law to do something very specific. He is essentially declaring the truth or establishing the truth of a case based on his testimony. That was John's purpose. That was his mission. He knew it. That was his calling. Friends, we have got to do the same thing as far as it comes to Jesus. We have a calling. We have a calling. It's not to take any glory from God. We are to be witnesses. We are to be the ones who testify to Jesus, to the fact that he is the light of the world. Like John, we must be careful not to take any level of ownership or glory or credit or anything that would take away from who God is. The credit, the glory, it all belongs to God. We are simply witnesses. And the Bible says in Revelation that we have overcome the devil how? By what? The word of our testimony. What does a witness do? He gives a testimony. A testimony. John made the statement to people, to Hebrew, to Jews, to listeners that understood the word, Jesus. That Jesus had come, we read it before in verse, I think it was 17, or um, that he came to his own. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, that verse is actually better translated as, Jesus came home. He went back home. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. He, his own family, did not receive him. This is obviously in reference to the Jewish people that have a veil before them. You know, that's something that you see when you're there, uh, that... Uh, it's incredible how they, I was actually amazed as we stood on the Mount of Olives and uh, and our translator was telling us that this is a place where Jesus will come again and he's going to descend into the temple uh, and right, go up to the temple mount again through the Eastern Gate and I'm like, wait a minute, I think he already did that, but okay, I just want to listen to what you're saying. And, and, you know, he's talking to us about the reality of that, and he's talking about the rapture, and he's talking about all of these things are in the Word, and I'm thinking, wow, it's so amazing. There is a veil that is in front of them that prevents them from seeing the truth. And we pray and believe that that veil will be removed. And I'll tell you what, friends, there's a lot of implications in the word of God, things that are going to happen in the last days that have to be uh that have to come to the jewish people they there's a doorway there's a leeway in there and and the the nation of israel has to come to the saving knowledge of jesus for some of those things those eschatological uh passages of the scripture those end time passages for them to come to pass it's just all connected there's a veil yes But we're praying that the veil will be removed because of the implications and the promises of the end times. With that said, the tragedy of the rejection of the Jewish nation becomes the blessing of grace to each and every one of us. We, excuse me, we become the children of God, both as a term of endearment, but also a privilege, because God is going to still fulfill the promises that he has made. to the the Jewish nation, but we are heirs of the blessing of of becoming children of God. We are. I love verses 17 and 18 that we read before that God's unfailing love and faithfulness came to us through Jesus because he revealed the Father to us by his Spirit. Can you think of anything that is greater than this blessing? Look at that. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, we have so many blessings in our lives. You know, we walk, I believe, as blessed people. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much that God has blessed us with. But there's none that are greater than that. There's nothing that is greater than knowing that we Belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to us. Don't ever take the truth and the reality that Jesus is your Savior and that you are a child of God ever for granted. It's a simple truth, friends. But it's one that needs to be deeply rooted inside of our spirit because we are not just anybody. He has blessed us with the blessings of belonging to his family. You belong to his family. I belong to his family. What an incredible privilege that we have that when we are facing circumstances in our lives, we are not alone. We are never alone. Jesus, the Son of God, our brother is next to us, walking with us, walking through us. Look, I know the circumstances sometimes that we go through are difficult. And we can pause and say, but wait a minute. You don't know what I'm going through. I get it. I really do. But God also gets it. He understands. You're not alone. I know that when we're in the midst of the, in the heat, is that the furnace is turning on hot and there's like, Confusion, there's, you know, accusations, there's all kinds of things that are happening around us, all around us. We can stop and say, God, how, where are you? I thought I was a child of God. Where are the, have you ever been there? I have. Look at that. I'm on the only one that's got, his, okay, all right, all right. There's some honest people there. I know that it's tough at times. Because if you look at the circumstances, right? We all look at the circumstances and we say, what in the world is going on? I thought being a Christian was a little easier. It's not the ease or not. We just need to count the blessing of knowing that we have someone that can help us get to the other side. And his name is Jesus. John Verses 19 to 1, 19 to 34. It's a lengthy passage. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things as you look at it on the screen. Now, John the Baptizer. I never call him John the Baptist. If you're in, in Israel, they'll tell you he's the Baptizer. John the Baptizer spoke to the religious leaders. right? Look at verse 19. Let's look at that for a minute. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. What was his testimony? You see, John came preaching something different. He came bringing a new revelation of the kingdom of God. He spoke about repentance. He spoke about confession. And you know what? The religious crowds opposed him because there was something different. It was new. They had never heard anything like that before. There's a voice of one crying in the wilderness, right? Now, the religious people, they're called the religious people because they have a religious what? Spirit. The religious spirit is an ugly spirit. I'll tell you a little bit about the religious spirit. It will go a length to discredit the work of God. You say, why is that? Because the religious people don't understand it. And because they can't wrap their head around it, they reject it and criticize it. We read that the religious people, the leaders in Jerusalem sent people to Bethany to speak to John. John baptized in Bethany on the east side, on the other side of the Jordan River. And, you know, you say Bethany, Jerusalem, say, it's only two miles. In, 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 in the book of Acts it says that it was a Sabbath day journey, okay, okay. I don't know exactly what that means, but I can tell you that it is a very hilly and somewhat rough terrain to, to travel. But you know what? The religious people don't care about rough terrains. They don't care to insult anybody. The religious spirit will attack. The religious spirit is self-seeking as accusatory. It will attack any idea that is not its own. It's stuck in dead traditions with no life change. The religious spirit is not from God. It claims to be from God, but it's not. It claims to be better than you, but it's not. It judges. It has an attitude. It condemns. It replaces the relationship that God so much wants to have with us with a bunch of traditions. Man-made traditions. Traditions. It judges appearances over the heart. That's not the way God deals with us. John's calling was to expose that spirit. John came to expose that spirit. Because he started preaching something that they had never heard before. Friends. We have that. We have to expose. Now you say, oh, I'm just going to expose the spirit of religion over people. No, no, no. We need to expose the religious spirit in us. You're you're responsible. I'm responsible to expose the religious spirit in me. In me. You know when Jesus condemned people? Only when he spoke to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. He was not rough and harsh with the average person. He was doing the same thing as John did to the religious spirit because the religious spirit will bring death, no life. No life. It's that spirit that looks at somebody that doesn't look exactly the way that you want them to look and says, oh, well, I, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what, you know, he's a believer. He shouldn't look like that. The religious spirit is that spirit that when somebody comes from outside that gives their heart to Jesus, and they don't look exactly prim and prop, if you know what I'm talking about. That religious spirit says, oh, they don't belong in the house of God. Tell them to change their clothes. I grew up under that religious spirit. I mean, the men on one side, the women on the other. Don't ever wear anything that exposes your arms. For the love of God. Make sure that the women wear tights. In the summer, in southern Italy. I'll just leave it at that. I know that that's not my experience only, because every experience, every one of us has had a different upbringing that we can probably say, yeah, oh, that was just like a bunch of dead religious activity with no life or meaning. Friends, we will not dilute the power of the gospel for the convenience of traditions. We cannot do that. Let me repeat that again. We will not dilute the power of the gospel for the convenience of traditions. This young man, this young woman, had been married for about a year when the wife started complaining about her husband. She would talk to her friends and say, oh, yeah, you know, my husband, he just, he's, I don't know, he's just not on fire for God. You know, he doesn't raise his hands, at, you know, at church room worship. He doesn't, you know, he knows nothing about the Spirit. He doesn't speak in tongues. I want him to, you know, I want him to be on fire for God. I want him to speak in tongues. I want him to be, you know, a witness for Jesus, just to be on fire for the Lord. And instead of talking to God, started talking to all the people. One day, she had a conversation with her pastor, and the pastor said, Honey, get back to your prayer closet. Stop talking about what he should be, and how he should be, and what he should do when you are doing just as bad as He is by talking bad about Him to your friends. Get into your prayer closet. Start fasting. Start praying. Start believing that God is going to move because that Jesus, that pre-existing Jesus, the one that has all the power to create the very universe, the very earth that we're standing on, has the power to change His life. Guess what? It didn't take very long. All of a sudden he started exhibiting some joy for the things of God and started raising hands in the presence of the Lord, and started seeing God move in his life, started seeing manifestations, wanting to see God move in his life. All of a sudden, he is the one when things are rough around the house and he doesn't know what's going on. He is like, that's the enemy. Let's just pray right now in the name of Jesus. Open that door and cast that thing out in Jesus' name. I mean, like believing, believing that God, God was actually involved in their life as a family. That's the power of God. That was the religious spirit in that young lady because she wanted to have her man just like she wanted to have him. God had different ideas. God did what needed to be done. And you know what? In the end, it worked out okay. Wow. Verses 36, 35 to 46 is the last portion. Let's read 38 and 39 together. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "What do you want?" This is after John talked of him, and John's disciples said, "You know, started following Jesus because uh, uh, because John had said this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Follow him." They just turned around and started following Jesus, and so Jesus turned around and said, "What do you want?" I love Jesus. Sometimes I do that. What do you want? Or, you know, like a good Italian. What do you want? Okay, I'll stop there. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? I I don't even know what kind of question that is. I mean, I need to get together with those two guys. Like, what are you staying? How about let's go grab a coffee or, let, you know, let's have some, some pita and hummus. You know, let's have some schnitzel and, I don't know, and some... Something you know that that will just be good. No, nope. what are you staying? Hmm. Jesus said, Come, you will see. Come, you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. Wow. Wouldn't you want to spend a day with him? You can. It was about the 10th hour of the day. Come and see. Come and see is actually repeated in these short remaining verses right down to the end of the chapter twice. First of all, Jesus told these disciples, come and see. Then uh, Philip told Nathanael. And it's a very interesting interesting thing that you see in these verses, because there's a chain reaction when you share the gospel and telling people about Jesus. There's a chain reaction that takes place. And you know what? We have the same invitation from Jesus today, friends. It's the same thing that he told those disciples he's telling us today. Come and see. Now, Jesus might have probed their hearts a little bit, maybe, just to see if it was just curiosity, or there was a hunger, there was a desire there was on and truth in their hearts but you know what it's the same invitation it gives to us come and see come and see are you hungry to come and see friends are you hungry to get into the presence of god to know more about him are you hungry or is it just curiosity are we just curious to see what's going on around us so that we can say i'm part of something great oh we're having such a great revival! Uh Ah, but do you spend any time with Jesus? Do you sit at his feet? I love what Robert shared this morning at prayer, a word that the Lord gave him that we talk about revival, but oftentimes we are afraid to get into the closet to spend time with him. And maybe our fear is because we would rather just have it all served for us in church on Sunday morning without doing any of the work. But God is calling and wanting all of us to come into his presence. On the other hand, are you sharing the gospel with friends and family, just like Andrew did with Peter? When Andrew heard, he went and told his brother, hey, we found the Messiah, come. Come. When Philip heard, he said to his friend Nathaniel, Hey, come, we've heard about the Messiah. It's a chain reaction. Now, Nathaniel mentions Nazareth. I'm like, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know that I would have said that to someone that I would call a teacher. But okay. Nathaniel's point was actually well made to some degree because, you know, when Nathaniel was a small little tiny village, during Bible days, there was maybe about 500 people that lived in in, in Nazareth, which was southwest of the Sea of Galilee. And people from Nazareth were really considered kind of like hillbillies, you know. They were just like regular folk, country folk. Nathaniel's response may have been a little sarcastic. But in reality, the expectations of the Jewish people was that Jesus would come and set them free for the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom so that it would be grandiose and powerful and great and no more suffering under the Roman hand. But one more thing that Nathanael did, and I want to mention about Nathanael. Nathanael was from Cana. What happened in Cana? What was Cana? The wedding of Cana was what? The very first first miracle that jesus performed i find that interesting that jesus chose to perform the very first miracle in cana to talk to the man who said can anything good come out of nazareth to just just kind of give him a little bit of what we call today word and spirit because you know what Jesus looked at Nathaniel and said, I saw you under the fig tree. Now let you know let me let me just pause and say this: that Bethany is actually the word Bethany means the house of figs. So for him to say, I saw you under the fig tree, it's all likelihood it was a hot day and he was under the fig tree. So let's just say that, you know, Jesus wanted to make sure that Nathanael was really convinced that he was the son of God. You know what? He said, hey, let me show you. Not only am I going to prophesy that I saw you under the fig tree and all that stuff, the prophetic word came, but also Jesus demonstrated who he was. Friends, we are called to do the same. The power of Jesus is in us. It lives in us. He calls us to do the exact same thing, to demonstrate who he is. With signs and wonders and miracles. You know, Jesus said before he ascended that the gospel will be preached through us and that we would demonstrate with signs and wonders. We will cast out devils, we will pray for the sick and they will be healed. All of those things Jesus wants to do through you. Look at the person next to you and tell him, through you. Through you. Is not looking for some great, powerful man of God who knows everything that there is to know. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think Jesus delights in using people that don't really have all of the education and all of the know-how, you know, all the knowledge and all the stuff that we think is necessary in order for us to receive all the things that we need to receive from God. Absolutely not. He uses The simple folk from Nazareth, simple people that may not really know everything. They may not know the whole word of God, but you know what? They trust that Jesus is alive and wants to use them. You know, people ask me, what's the one thing that that you got out of Israel and the trip there? Deeper love and appreciation for Jesus. for who he was and who he is and who he always will be in our lives if we learn to trust him, if we take off the facade and we take off all of the things that, that get in the way of our relationship with him. We are so inundated. And you know what, guys? Unless we individually make a decision to serve Jesus, you know what? All we have is a religious experience. It's a religious experience. Coming to church on Sunday morning is just a religious activity that would be void without the power of God. It's void, it's empty. Let me close with this. The invitation to come and see. Jesus is more than just a historical figure. There's many people that are named Jesus, so his name is not any special. He is more than just a miracle worker, a teacher of the law. He is all those, yes, but so much more. He is more than just the acts that he performs. He is Jehovah, the God of the universe who created heaven and earth. And we—if that's got to be our starting point, friends. It's got to be our starting point. If we don't start with the truth and the reality that Jesus is everything, everything in my life. That's why Paul said I counter all loss without Jesus. Your life, your successes, all of the blessings that you have in your life are nothing without Jesus. Don't ever make the mistake to look at yourself and say, look at all that I have accomplished unless you give God the glory for blessing you. You know what people want to see in this world? They don't want to see a bunch of religious nonsense. They don't want to come to church and just have everything polished and perfect. They just want the truth. Don't you want the truth? I want the truth. I want a Jesus who is real. I want a Jesus who transforms lives, who changes lives, who can touch lives and make a difference. Come and see Come and see what Jesus has done and what he will continue to do. What's your testimony? Share your testimony. Remember that your past doesn't define you and that God has a plan for your future to make you successful in him. Come and see. If you've just received, uh, in part, the revelation of Jesus, come. There is more. Come and see. His grace is sufficient. His supply has no end. His power is limitless. He will break the chains that hold you down. He will give you what you need at the time you need it. If that's not what you need, then maybe Jesus needs you to give that to somebody who needs it. Just like Andrew did with Peter. Peter his brother just like nathaniel or philip did with his friend nathaniel invite somebody is that maybe the person next to you today is that that person that needs a little nudge to say hey man you need to get more committed can i just maybe go up to the altar and pray with you can we just pray together agree together Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. Paul is talking about a veil. He says, yes, even today, when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with a veil that they do not understand. That's the nation of Israel right now. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. But I want to say that it's not just for the nation of Israel. It's for any of us. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have that, have that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Friends, that is what Jesus is waiting for us to do is to do exactly that. We have had the veil removed. We see the light. We see what God has done. We understand what God has done for us. Now it's our turn to share it with others. We reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What a tremendous responsibility that we have. That's ours. If I don't speak to my neighbors about Jesus, I can't wait for you to come and build a house and start speaking to them. If you don't speak to your neighbors or to your friends, your co workers, or people in your life, your sphere of influence, that is your calling. That is your calling. That's my calling around the sphere of influence around my life. That's my responsibility. And I want to fulfill that. We all need to fulfill that. We are called to be witnesses of Jesus. I just want to put something up on the screen. I, just some things that I thought would be things about Jesus that we can take away. He's compassionate, loving, the Alpha and Omega, the Alpha and the Finisher. He intercedes for us, welcomes, and gives us access to his presence. You see them. You can write them down or take a picture of that if you want. But, and and maybe read them on your own. But you know what? That's just a hint of Jesus. just a hint of the power of Jesus. And I pray today, My prayer today for you is that we will take this Jesus and we will tell others, come and see. Do you understand now why verse 1, John 1, 1 is so important? Because the Word was just not a little thing. The Word was God. And the Word, Jesus, has the power to do all of that and so much more. The crowds, the people, the disciples, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they did not understand because they had a veil in front of them and they did not allow their hearts to be in tune with what God wanted to do for them in their day. But there were some that did. And many of those who did came to know Jesus. Friends, it's a tragedy If we never share the gospel of Jesus with anybody, that empty seat next to you belongs to some of your friends or family members or people that have not yet understood that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life.